You ready to get into Proverbs again? We are, last time we, we covered a topic, uh, the title of the sermon was The Devotion That God Desires, and this morning we're going to look at Proverbs that address the subject of anger. So we're going we're gonna to deal with the subject of anger, and this is actually going to be a two-parter, and we're going we're gonna to cover part two next week. So you can go ahead and turn open to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29, that's the first one we're going to look at, but obviously we'll be hopping around. So like I said, the last time we looked at Proverbs that addressed the subject of devotion to God, loving loyalty to God, and, and we learned that the kind of devotion that God desires from us is the kind that prioritizes righteousness over ritual, right? godliness over gifts. Obedience over, over sacrifice. God desires that we pursue righteousness. That we walk in obedience to his word. That we grow in godliness. And that we be increasingly conformed to the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God desires from us. And that really is what true devotion looks like. The scriptures say that the Lord Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us. From all lawlessness and to purify him for himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The scriptures also say that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. And in the book of James, which is basically, it's the wisdom book of the New Testament. Because it reiterates much of the instruction that's found in Proverbs. I mean, if you read through Proverbs and you go ahead and just read through James, you'll realize that a lot of what you find in there, a lot of what he's teaching is coming straight from Proverbs. So James is the wisdom book of the New Testament. And we read in James this, James chapter 1, verse 18, of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. New creatures, new creations in Christ, that is. And then immediately after this statement, James gives the following instruction and in wisdom. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to anger, or slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So James warns us of anger. Because it's such a great and common hindrance to righteous living. It, the kind of devotion that God desires is righteous living. It is obedience and anger is something that will be a hindrance to that devotion. Anger can keep us from doing what is right and just and good in God's eyes. And it, it often causes us to do just the opposite. That which is wrong and unjust and evil in God's eyes. Anger is a, a common stumbling block, if you will, in the, the way of love that we're called to walk in. And it will trip us up time and time again if we are not walking according to God's wisdom. So... This morning we're going to 
We're going to dive into the book of Proverbs and begin to consider God's wisdom on the subject of anger. So first of all, here's what we need to understand about anger. Anger in and of itself is simply an emotion. It is an emotion. And we have the capacity to experience anger because we are made in the image and likeness of God. So by definition, anger is a strong feeling of displeasure that is aroused by a perceived wrong, injustice, or evil. It's a strong feeling of displeasure. However, because of our sinfulness, anger is most commonly, the anger that comes from us is most commonly sinful anger. You've probably heard that, right? Is it righteous anger or is it unrighteous anger? Is it sinful anger or is it righteous anger? It's very common that the anger coming from us is the sinful kind, the sinful variety, because we're sinners. Typically, our anger is unjustified. I mean, if you really think about it, the times that you get angry, typically it's unjustified. And it's often mishandled and put to destructive use, is it not? Anger is an emotion in and of itself, so it really is a neutral thing. In and of itself, it's not evil or good, it's just anger. It's an emotion. But it is an emotion that has the potential to cause great harm. To tear down rather than to build up. To stir up strife rather than to promote peace. And that's why we need to be wise in how we deal with it. And if we aren't, then it will be a constant hindrance to us living in a way that glorifies the Lord. So Proverbs 14.29, we'll look at this one first. Solomon writes this, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And here the distinction is made between the one who is wise and the one who is foolish. And notice that it doesn't say, whoever never experiences anger has great understanding. And he who feels anger at any point exalts folly. It doesn't say that. Rather, the focus is on what? It's on the, the speed at which one's anger is typically kindled. So being slow to anger is an indication that one has great understanding. Whereas one who is quick to anger, uh, who has a hasty temper, that one exalts folly. So outside of Proverbs, every time you see this phrase, slow to anger in the Old Testament, you know who it's describing? It's describing God describes God. Being slow to anger is a godly quality. It's a godly quality. When God showed Moses his glory and he proclaimed his name before him, he described himself as, quote, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, end quote. Merciful and gracious. This is what he wants you to know. He declares his name, and here's my my uh, self-description. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, sin is what angers God, right? What angers God? It's sin. Wickedness, evil. 
That's what angers God, and, and the whole world in its current fallen state is filled with sin and corrupted by sin. And it is precisely because God is holy and righteous that sin angers him. If sin didn't anger God, if it didn't infuriate God, well then he, he wouldn't be righteous. It wouldn't be good because sin is evil. David in Psalm 7 Chapter 7, verse 11, or Psalm 7, verse 11, he wrote this. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Every day. So sin is rebellion against God. And it's evil. And sinful humanity rightly deserves his wrath. Justly deserves his wrath. Yet because God is merciful and gracious... He is slow to anger. He is patient with sinners, and he's patient when he has sinned against. How much more then should we be? How much more should we be patient with other fellow sinners? How much more should we be patient when we're sinned against? How much more should we be slow to anger? If God, who is holy and righteous, perfect, is slow to anger, we should definitely be slow to anger, we who are not holy and righteous. So the question is, are, are you quick to anger? Are you quick to anger? Do you find yourself getting angry a lot? And over things that you really shouldn't be angered by? If so, then that should be a red flag to you. Never forget God's amazing grace and mercy. And in the power of the Spirit, seek to be gracious and merciful to others, as the Lord has been gracious and merciful to you. And you will be slow to anger. See, if you think about that, if, if you know, again, and maybe, maybe it comes in spurts. You had a bad week and you realize, I've been really irritable, I've been really angry, like all week. What do we remember? Remember the Lord's gracious and merciful, He's been gracious and merciful to you. Start reflecting on that and start applying that to other people. Intentionally, I'm going to be gracious, I'm going to be merciful, and it will slow that anger. Solomon says that slowness to anger indicates great understanding in this proverb, but that a hasty temper indicates just the opposite. And here's why. Here's what a hasty temper does. It leaves no room to think. No room to reflect. It just causes you to instantly react. So having a short fuse leaves no room for you to try to understand the situation at hand. Having a quick temper leaves no room for you to try to understand the other person, where they're coming from. And having a hasty temper leaves no room for you to try to understand what the real problem is and to handle it in a way that is helpful and honoring to the Lord. It's often the case that we get angry as a result of our own sinful attitude. Would you agree? Our own sinful attitude? Whether it's pride or envy. And it's also often the case that we get angry over something that really turns out to be a simple misunderstanding. Whether it's due to miscommunication or misreading a situation. A simple misunderstanding 
rather than an actual wrong. You know, that strong feeling of displeasure at a perceived wrong and injustice. Oh, sorry, if I actually took some time to maybe understand the situation and realize that it's just a misunderstanding, not really a true offense. Therefore, it's wise for us to be slow to anger. But Solomon says that he who has a, a hasty temper, he exalts folly. In other words, he, he holds it up. He puts it on display. Anger that is unchecked and unfiltered. Anger that is not preceded by understanding and tempered by grace and mercy will result in sinful, foolish behavior. Guaranteed. One commentator says this, A quick-tempered person may think that he is defending his honor, proving his strength, but his inability to harness his emotions puts his folly on public display. See, a, a hasty temper says, Don't think, just react. How do you feel? Let it out. But by all means, don't think at all about what's going on. And the result is that you will look and act like a child. Or you'll look and act like an animal. Brute beast. A quick temper is neither good nor wise, nor will it produce the righteous conduct that God desires from us. That is, the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. A good anger is not going to accomplish that. A hasty temper is not going to accomplish that. Here's what anger will produce when it is not tempered by love and understanding and grace and mercy. We can look at Proverbs 29, 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife. And one given to anger causes much transgression. So if you are given to anger, if you can be described as an angry person, can you be described that way? I know, he's an angry guy, angry person. Then you don't just have anger, anger has you. Don't let yourself be given to anger. Don't ever let yourself be given to anger. Don't ever let anger be easily and frequently ignited inside of you. Never let anger compel you. Because when anger drives you, you will, you will stir up strife. That's what Solomon's getting at here. That's the result. That's the outcome. You're going to stir up strife. You're going to stir up bitter conflict and discord and antagonism and rivalry. And you will cause much transgression. Much transgression. You know, anger has the, it has the potential to produce so much sin. It's very productive, by the way, in the sin department. It produces a lot. Cursing, insults, cruelty, hatred, bitterness, resentment, violence, etc. We can go on and on and on. What could anger will do to people? Anger, here's a helpful, helpful way to think about it. It's an emotion, right? It's like fire. Is fire good or bad? You might say, well, it depends. Anger's like fire. It can be used for constructive purposes. But if it is not carefully and properly handled and contained, then it can cause tremendous and widespread damage. Think of it that way. You're not going to be immune to anger. 
but you should be wary of it, knowing its, its potential to cause so much strife, so much transgression, so much sin, unrighteous actions, harm, then you want to carefully and properly handle it and contain it. Proverbs 29, 11, we go back to, to verse 11 here. Solomon writes this, a, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So let's consider that first half, which in the Hebrew literally says, a stupid man causes all of his spirit to go out. Whatever's built up in here, he causes it all to go out. He unleashes his displeasure vocally or physically or both. That's what a stupid man does. Have you ever seen a, a, a two-year-old throw a temper, temper tantrum? Now that's a clear picture of what it's like for someone to give full vent to his or her spirit. Two years old, little tiny, cute little human being. But there's, there's no control, no filter, no reasoning, no spirit of God, just depravity and full throttle venting, unleashing the fury. It is a revelation you should... Observe, if you have not seen a two-year-old <laughs> in all their unrighteous glory in those moments. It's what sin does, though. It's enslaving. This is what we refer to, this, this venting, giving full vent to your spirit. Well, we refer to that, this as blowing up, blowing up. And unfortunately, it's, it's not something uh, that we only do when we're two years old. You know, you don't, you don't outgrow it, this temper tantrums. They just manifest themselves in different ways. It's a foolish and sinful way to handle your anger. I mean, that's obvious. Blowing up doesn't sound good, doesn't sound good, doesn't sound righteous. It's, it's a foolish way to, to handle your anger. Here's why, because it's destructive. It's destructive, and it does not solve the real problems at hand. Are you going to solve anything? By blowing up? I mean, usually anger is an indication that something's wrong. There, there's a problem. Maybe, maybe we're miscommunicating. Let's talk about that. Rather than whoosh, vent my anger at you, my displeasure. It doesn't solve problems, and it's, it's destructive, and it, it, it also neither demonstrates love nor makes peace. You can never vent in love. You can never... Uh, vent to sow peace and righteousness. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes when you're angry, you may think to yourself that, that you just need to vent. I mean, it, haven't you heard that like in a positive way? I just need to vent. It's okay. Okay, I just need to vent. I'm get something off my chest. Now again, sometimes we mean like I just need to maybe confide in someone. Okay, there might, that might not necessarily be unleashing everything that's in here, right? Giving full vent to your spirit. But again, I mean, in general, this idea of venting, unleashing what's built up in, inside, unleashing, causing your spirit to go out, venting your anger, uh, that you just need to release the, the pressure built up within you by letting your anger out somehow, that, that is, across the board, always foolish. Because what good will that accomplish? What good will that ever accomplish? Venting your anger towards people is just going to hurt them. 
and stir up bitter conflict. Do you really want to hurt that person and stir up bitter conflict? Do you really want to start that? You have to, so again, anger does that. If, we, if we're quick to anger, we're not going to think about that. We're just going to unleash. It feels good to just get it out. And then I realize, oh, now we have bitter conflict. I just hurt somebody that I actually love and care about. <gasps> but you might think, okay, well, what if it's not towards someone, but towards something? Ah, uh -huh. Like punching a pillow. I mean, isn't that harmless? I just need to vent, and yes, it would be totally wrong if I blew up at somebody, but I can, I'm just going to go in my room, shut the door, it's just me, by myself, no one's around, and I'm going to punch this pillow 50 times, get my cardio in. It sounds harmless, right? But here's what you accomplish by doing that. You condition yourself to being destructive and violent whenever you feel angry. You're training yourself. Feel angry, I just need to vent. At some point, it might not be a pillow. Because you're so used to, ah, I've got to get it out. I'm in training, man. Training to vent everything, unleash the fury. You condition yourself to do that. You condition yourself to basically sinfully handle your anger. By the way, who, whose face are you picturing when you're punching that pillow? Right? Proverbs makes it clear that venting anger is what fools do. It, it does not produce righteousness. So just, you know, if that ever was something in your mind, you're kind of like, yeah, it's okay to vent. It's like, yeah, nope, venting's foolish. Clear. In Scripture, you got it right there. It's always foolish. While a fool gives full vent to his spirit, Solomon says in the second half of 29, verse 11, that a wise man quietly holds it back. And the Hebrew literally says he calms it. He calms it. That's important. The only other place this particular verb occurs is in Psalm 89.10, in which the writer says of the Lord, so here we go, this is reflecting the Lord, his likeness. The writer says of the Lord, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. It's right there. It's the verb still. You still them. And we can see this action up close and personal in the Gospels when the Lord Jesus calms the storm on the Sea of Galilee. In Luke's Gospel, we read that he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased, and there was calm. And the Greek word that is translated as calm, right? This is the aftermath of him calming the storm and the sea. That, that word that is calm, it says there was calm. It literally means an unruffled surface on a body of water. So picture the Sea of Galilee, or any body of water. Storm, raging waves. He rebukes it, they ceased, and there was calm. There was unruffled surface on the body of water. It was completely serene. That's power. Kind of changes your idea. You would think, like, calm, 
knock it out, it stops, and kind of slowly goes away, right? That's not what he did. He immediately calmed it to the point where he flattened it out and took it from raging waves to being completely peaceful, tranquil, and almost undisturbed on the surface of the water. That's what the Lord does when he calms the waves. So, here's the point. When God calms the raging sea, he does not just diminish its turbulence. He he actually settles it into a state of tranquility. Likewise, a wise person will calm his spirit when anger stirs it up. So when it says that he quietly holds it back, he actually, it says he, he calms it. That's what it means. He overcomes it. One commentator says that the second half of this proverb, 29.11, speaks of anger overcome, not merely checked, not merely, not merely restrained, held back. It's, it's not just checked, it is overcome. God's wisdom for us is not that, that we would just restrain our anger and not blow up. You want to be wise, just don't blow up. Whatever you do, hold it back, don't blow up. I mean, that's good, that's a start. But God's wisdom for us is not that we would just do that, but that we would also, we would overcome anger by calming our spirit when it is stirred up. Simply refraining from from blowing up is not enough to keep anger from being destructive. So it starts in here, it's that emotion. It gets kindled. The spirit gets stirred. It's like, the spirit's stirred. I think I... Felt, you know, saw an offense or something, something that offended me. My spirit stirred. What do I do? It's like, don't blow up at that guy, right? We start there. Then I calm my spirit. That's what a wise man will do. Look at Proverbs fourteen seventeen. It says this, Solomon, Solomon writes, A man of, of quick temper acts foolishly. And a man of evil devices is hated. Now the first half of this this proverb is very uh, very similar to what we read in chapter 14, verse 29. So just a little later. There we read that a quick-tempered man, he exalts folly, right? And here we are told that he acts foolishly. So it's very similar. The one who has a quick temper is driven by explosive anger. Right? There's, there's, it's a short fuse. There's no thought process. He just unleashes. He just reacts. It's, ex, it's explosive anger. He vents his anger. He blows up. And the second half of, of this particular proverb is likely implying a different kind of sinful anger. The man of evil devices, the schemer, is someone who is driven by what you could call corrosive anger. And what he does is he internalizes his anger. He bottles it up. So there's, there's this restraint from blowing up, but he doesn't calm his spirit. He just holds on to it inside. He internalizes it, he bottles it up, and it's corrosive. One commentator says this, one man, regarding this proverb, right? one man thinks too little. The flare of anger overrides his judgment, and he does things he would never consider in a calmer moment. 
Another man thinks too much because anger is simmering inside him. He is crafty and underhanded, scheming to take advantage of others. You ever held anger in? Have you ever held it in, held on to it, clung to it? Holding anger in and holding on to it is very foolish. Because it can lead you down a dark road at the end of which you may find yourself doing more evil than you would have done if you had just vented the moment your anger was kindled. This is why the proverb says that a man of evil devices is hated. An angry outburst, I mean, you're foolish, looks foolish, uh, but an angry outburst is certainly more forgivable than a coldly calculated attack. Revenge. I'm going to get mine. Storing up that anger. I'm going to get you. And then it just simmers and stews. Bottling up anger just, just allows it to ferment and become more potent. It could turn from anger into bitterness and resentments and malice towards others. Malice is just really like, you want to hurt that person. You want to cause some harm. That's what anger can morph into. And it can drive you to plot and scheme against others. And this is why Paul warned, and when you read in Ephesians, he, he has this warning in chapter 4. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do and give no opportunity to the devil. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do you know that verse? Familiar with that verse? Right? It's not literally like, you know, the sun's about to set. I've got to get rid of my anger. You know, the idea is that, or, you know, that if you go to bed, you got some kind of unresolved stuff. Um, no, he's not encouraging that you, you know, you talk it out for a few hours after in bed, ready to go to sleep, husbands and wives. I mean, that's not really what he's getting at. What he's getting at is just keep short accounts. You know, don't let anger just sit and simmer and stew and ferment to kind of take a hold of you and be corrosive like that. And he says that when you do that, you're actually giving an opportunity to the devil. So again, if we just think this through logically, do I want to give Satan an opportunity in my home or in my relationships or whatever it might be? That's what's going to happen if I'm just like, I'm just... I'm going to nurse this anger. I'm going to nurse it. I'm, I'm not done. I, you know, I was so offended. I just can't let it go just yet. You got to be careful. Let's look, let's look at an example. Familiar one. A man named Cain, whom you should never cha- uh, name your children after. Genesis chapter 4. You can turn there. Uh, verses 1 through 8. We'll just look at this account. So Genesis chapter 4, this is after chapter 3. What happened in chapter 3? Adam and Eve, they, they sinned against God. And sin entered the world and it corrupted them. And they had a couple babies. Cain and Abel, sinners beget sinners. So we have the fall in chapter 3. Corruption of man, and in Genesis 4, we see the outworking of the corruption of sin. Verse 1, now Adam knew Eve his wife, 
had relations, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And I guess every woman who, who delivers a child would probably be saying that. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, helping me through this. Verse 2, and again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, so now they're older, they're not like two-year-olds, although if you see what two-year-olds do to each other, probably leading up to this, but in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. You ever wondered about that? That scene? What is that? Like, what's going on? I mean, why did God just say, nah, you know, and just have favor on Abel and not Cain? And again, just look at the detail there. What did Cain bring to the Lord? He brought him an offering. Okay, right, this is worship. An offering of the fruit of the ground. So a little sampling. Yeah, I'm a worker of the ground. Here's a cluster of grapes. Uh, you know, it's got some zucchini or whatever it is, right? Here's a little sampling. Abel, here's his offering. It, he didn't just bring, man, eh, just some, some of his flock. He brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Like the best, the very best. And he also brought what was a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. So for Cain and his offering, the Lord had no regard. Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And then we see what happens. What's the outcome? Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So we can think about the question that God asked Cain. Why are you angry? That's a good question to ask. Whenever you are angry, why don't you ask yourself that? Why am I angry? Cain's reason for being angry was not good. His, his sinful attitude was the reason for his anger. He was jealous of his brother. But... Even with his anger kindled, he had a choice with how to proceed with it. I mean, there, there's a, a point of decision. Okay, I'm angry. Face falls, I'm angry. I'm pouting. I'm mad. But there's a point, what am I going to do with this anger, right? There's this point of decision. He could either heed God's voice and rule over his anger, his sinful anger, or... He could continue to allow his sinful anger to fester, to boil inside. And he chose the latter, and the result was devastating. 
Now again, that, that, is a, that is an extreme example, but it shows you that what this emotion is capable of, capable of doing, of driving you to do if it is not contained, if it's not handled rightly, it is extremely dangerous. So every time your anger is kindled and you don't exercise self-control and rule your spirit, you are foolishly giving the devil an opportunity to do some damage in your life. Here's what Solomon said regarding the value of being self-controlled and, and slow to anger. Look at ch uh, chapter 16, verse 32. This is still the last one we're going to look at this morning. Chapter 16, verse 32, Solomon writes, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The basic idea here is that it is better to be wise in handling your anger than to be a brave and mighty warrior. You know, maybe a lot of men want to be like a brave and mighty warrior. That sounds awesome. You know, but Solomon's saying, here's wisdom. It is, it is far better for you to be slow to anger and to rule your spirit. That's real strength. One commentator says this, having patience and a controlled temper is honored above being a soldier. In a land where safety depended on might and skill in warfare, this statement may seem surprising. Yet conquering oneself is of greater virtue than conquering a city. And you know, if you think about it, Strong and valiant men may be needed in times of war, sure. But every hour of every day, there is a need for men to be slow to anger and self-controlled. For women to be slow to anger and self-controlled. That's the ongoing, every day, every hour need. And by the way, what, what leads to war? What leads to conflict and rivalry and battles? It's that unrestrained anger sinful handling of it being slow to anger and being self-controlled is spiritual strength and valor that is needed in order to prevent bitter conflict and to promote peace on an everyday level that's where the battleground is your interaction with other sinners You have a lot of opportunities to be tested in your area of anger. Maybe you don't think yourself uh, to be someone who is characterized by anger, someone who's quick to anger. Hey, I don't get angry often, um, but, you know, we live in Southern California, and you might find yourself on the 210. Maybe that's your testing ground. Maybe you have wee little ones who have no restraints on the depravity that is inside of them. And they just unleash the fury and it makes no sense. And there's just chaos coming from that little child. Maybe that's the testing ground. You know, you, you, that, it's very challenging. See, I, I thought I'm like, I'm actually a pretty level-headed guy. You know? And then, and then you get married, you got two sinners under a roof. It's like, all right, sanctification, right? Communication, working on this. And then I'm like, okay, God is sanctifying me. 
And I, th I think we were really patient. We are developing a patience with one another, learning how to communicate well, and not to resort to anger. And then we have a child. And then we had another child, and another child. We had three under three. And then, yeah, yeah, that is sanctification. That is God saying, here's your opportunity. Right? I have a, a low tolerance for this, this whining. You know, whining, it just... So, but I have to say, this is an opportunity, brother, to be gracious and merciful, slow to anger, when inside us, when I stop it, be quiet, stop whining. <laughs> but remember the Lord, right? And actually, let me tell you this, Laura and I kind of go through, there might be like just a, a week, this is kind of a rough week, it's a rough week, where we're really, our spirits are broken down, because we've only gotten like a few hours of sleep, maybe intermittent sleep. Because one of them is always crying at some point. And we find ourselves, and we kind of just have some time to reflect. And like, you know what? I've been really irritable. I've been kind of like, you know, snapping at the kids. You know, I've been irritable and angry and impatient. And, and that's sinful anger because it's just, it's self-centered. You know, it's, it's, I'm inconvenienced. I'm annoyed. And I've been acting angry. And it really helps to remember the Lord, right? He's gracious and merciful. I have to be intentional about saying, be gracious and merciful. Be gracious and merciful. Right? So this morning we've, we've seen what the God's wisdom in Proverbs warns of the destructiveness of anger and cautions us against bottling it up or unleashing it. God's wisdom tells us to be slow to anger and self-controlled and that our anger should be tempered by God's grace and mercy which he has demonstrated abundantly towards us in Jesus Christ. So what we'll do next time is we'll continue to look at what else Solomon says in Proverbs, wisdom regarding anger, and even some more application, more offensive strategy on how to live the righteous life that God desires and not allow the anger to actually take over and take control of you. And so we'll pick it up where we left off next time. And actually, if we have time, what I want to do is even take a look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, did you know that he did sometimes get angry? And we have those accounts in scripture. I want to take a look at some of those. So we have, he is our example that we might walk in, walk in his steps. And I'm going to show you anything you learn about wisdom and Proverbs, you're going to see perfectly uh, applied in the life and example of Jesus Christ. He is the, the perfect wise man. He is the epitome of wisdom. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. And he's our example. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. And Lord, as always, we, we give thanks to you and praise you for giving us your word, giving us your truth that we might know you, that we might know the truth about ourselves, about the world in which we live, and, and what it looks like, the, the way you've called us to live, Lord. How we might rightly live before you, how we might honor you with our lives. And, and Lord, we know that, that we still have sin within us, and that we are capable of, of doing great wickedness. And yet you, you equip us, Lord, with your Spirit who is dwelling within us to empower us and enable us so we know that it is possible to live righteously. And Lord, you equip us with your word and your wisdom that we might be knowledgeable of how to 
to choose to act, Lord, to do it in a way that pleases you and glorifies you. And we pray, Lord, we pray just as we're meditating on the subject of anger, Lord, help us to be a people that are slow to anger. Help us to, to exemplify the grace and mercy that you exemplify, Lord. Help us to reflect that likeness. Help us to reflect that likeness of Jesus Christ. The gentle shepherd. The one who is compassionate and kind and patient. And had a slowness to anger. And tremendous self-control. In, in the face of great adversity. In the face of great provocation, Lord. We pray that we might walk in his steps and follow his example. It's in his name we pray. Amen.